And we're live. Welcome back, everybody, to a new episode of the Wheelie Podcast. I'm your host, Mike Atoll, and I'm joined again by Electric Seth Weintraub. How's it going, Seth? I'm good. Awesome. And we have a lot of uh, interesting stories to talk about this week. Um, we're going to start off with some fairly regulation-heavy. We've got some stories out of uh, California, New Jersey, actually the Netherlands as well, about uh, some police crackdowns and other e-bike regulations. But we do have some interesting new launches as well. Turn has a new e-bike coming out. Uh, we saw sort of a, a weird little thing from a company called Jackrabbit. Um, and then we've got some other interesting uh, two-wheeler stories from electric bikes and their exercise benefits to how Africa is actually helping lead in battery swapping for electric motorcycles. Where are we started this week, Seth? All right, get ready. California's electric bicycle driver's license bill is here. Yeah, this one uh, is going to come as a bit of a shock to a lot of people, I think. But um, California is working on uh, not even their first, their second attempt at a bill like this that would create a uh, driver's license specifically for electric bike riders. Now, it, it wouldn't be necessary if you already have a driver's license for a car, the goal here is that, you know, uh, young folks, uh, teenagers, or just, you know, young adults who decided they didn't want a car, so they never got a driver's license, this would be a license for them when they ride an e-bike so that there's a process for going through and learning the rules of the road and um, presumably being tested to make sure you understand that stuff, uh, that sort of thing. And uh, so, you know, it's not a, a law yet. This is still a proposed bill that's working its way through the uh, California legislator, I think it's still in committee, which uh, I don't think the previous version of this bill survived. So we'll have to see if this one uh, is prepared to go any further. But if it does, then it would potentially create a precedent for these types of um, you know, micro-mobility or non-car driver's licenses designed for people that don't otherwise have any road training. And you can imagine that this has become a very controversial subject. On the one hand, there are people who say that if you're using the roadways, it doesn't matter whether you're on a bicycle or an e-bike or a motorcycle or a car, you need to know the rules of the road. On the other side, there are people who say that you know electric bicycles have always been exempt from this kind of um, you know, heavy-handed regulation and uh, these kinds of burdens imposed by uh, having to go through a licensing structure. So, you know, I can, I can see it going, going either way here. Uh, what do you think about this? Seth? Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of good things and bad things as kind of some of the commenters talked about in this, um, legislation. Um, we've talked in the past about how we kind of believe that there should be some kind of, you know, an educational component to, um, you know, for kids to ride e-bikes, um, or just bikes in general. Um, because of, you know, obviously safety concerns. And then, you know, of course, uh, drivers really get frustrated with, you know, bikers that don't follow the laws. And then, you know, ev then everybody gets kind of punished for the, the actions of a few. Um, but at, on the other hand, like it, it's always not really in the best interest to make it really hard to, to get an e-bike and, and use an e-bike. Um, so, you know, I think, the, the focus of, of these things has to be on kind of making sure that, you know, that people who want e-bikes can still get e-bikes 
and use them easily. So, you know, a state ID for, for kids is not necessarily a bad thing. I, I feel like, uh, you know, on airplane flights, like dragging around a passport is kind of weird. Um, it would be kind of nice to just have, you know, my kids, uh, who fall into the, you know, the under 16, um, world, uh, it would be kind of nice if they had a form of ID that they could use. I, don't, I mean, I guess I don't know where they would use it besides airports, but you know, they're, they're not buying booze, hopefully. <laughs> um, so, uh, yeah, I mean, like we've talked about this, this is, this is something that we we're kind of behind in, but the, the, the devil is always in the details and, um, there's some scary stuff about, uh, this one. I, I think one of the commenters, um, was talking about, you know, the safety of children, you know, part being overblown. That's always something that, you know, congressional people seem to want to include. Um, of course that's obviously important, but, um, I feel like, you know, that's gonna, that's gonna leave a, a lot of room for, uh, misinterpretation by law enforcement. Um, yeah, I, you know, I think this is one of those things that it's going to happen. It's just, hopefully it happens in a way that's beneficial for e-bikes, generally speaking. And then of course, um, you know, I don't know if we'll talk about this at some point, but I know that in Tel Aviv, there's, uh, some e-bike regulations happening. You have to get a license now, um, on your e-bike. Is there like a little license plate as well? Uh, not yet, but it's, it's coming. They did pass a law that, um, you will have to have a, a small license plate, um, on all e-bikes and e-scooters and register them. Uh, it is free, so there's no cost. You know, the, the goal is to not make it a burden, but there are just literally tens of thousands of e-bikes, uh, not to mention the e-scooters going around. So um, they did create a system to sort of make them identifiable like cars. Right. I mean, I. it's almost, it's almost, it that almost has to happen. I, and I know in like, Paris, for instance, all the little scooters have like these little license plates that you can barely read if you're like three feet away. So it doesn't make a ton of sense, but, um, it almost feels like it's inevitable that this is happens. And, you know, you and I, like we, we happen to get on a lot of e-bikes because of our job, like getting a new license for every e-bike seems like a real hassle for us. Um, but you know, I think the average bike rider is going to have one bike for many years. So maybe it's a little, you know, maybe that's just us. Yeah. Um, I also wonder how hard it would be to just register one and transfer your license plate. You know, as long as you're not doing it to evade, you know, capture kind of thing. You, know, you just have yeah, that, your name tied to a plate and you just magnet it on each bike. Yeah. Or maybe you, you know, you're a licensed rider and you put the license on your helmet you know, the back of your helmet or something instead of the bike. Yeah, that would be a, a good way to do it. Actually. Of course, then you get into helmet issues. Right. Whole mother. All right. So, yeah. So, um, all right, let's move on. Uh, also in the Netherlands, the Dutch police found a way to test e-bike power on the side of the road. Yeah, this one I found pretty surprising because... I never thought we'd get to this point. We all joke about how, you know, like you can get a 2000 watt motor and put a 250 watt sticker on it and the cops don't know the difference anyway. Um, and that, you know, the bigger thing is really the, the speed and to make sure that if you're going to be outside of the law, that at least you look like you're within the law and you're riding respectfully and, you know, you slow down around intersections, that kind of thing. But that might have worked well enough in North America where, 
everyone is largely ignorant of the rules, but leave it to uh, the police in the you know, cycling capital of the world, the Netherlands, to have figured out a better solution. Here they've created this sort of basically a, a bicycle a dyno, for lack of a better term, that they can just plop on the side of the road and put an e-bike on it. The officer pedals the bike up to top speed because uh, in the Netherlands, most people don't have throttles. They're not allowed. And that way they can check the speed and presumably the power right there on the side of the road. Um, it seems a little bit, um, you know, like dystopian, but at the same time, like if there are going to be power laws, then you kind of have to have a way to measure and enforce something that's that's legislated. Otherwise, we get into that situation with the 250 watt stickers on the motors, you know, the size of your your head. And so I guess this is the Dutch solution here. They did say something interesting, which is that almost all of the over spec bikes they find are fat tire bikes. Like we're looking at here an image of what looks sort of like a Super 73 knockoff. And that sort of tracks with some of what we've heard out of the Netherlands, that a lot of the um, sort of uh, outside the law e-bike behavior is, is happening on fat tire bikes since they're sort of popular among younger riders and less of the traditional sort of like Dutch dude on his way to the office on his upright Dutch bike kind of stereotype. So I found that interesting as well, that the police can just sort of kind of eyeball based on tire and then pull bikes over and check them to find the, the um, non-conforming bikes. I don't know. Could you see something like this coming to the U.S., Seth, maybe California? Uh, I mean, I guess in, in cities in California, that could be, you know, I don't, I don't see that coming anytime soon. Like, I, I just think there would be such a big backlash. Um, but you know, what's kind of interesting about this, well, for, you know, first of all, like I understand why fat tire bikes would be over spec because, you know, 250 Watts on a bike with, you know, big tires and heavy and all this stuff is not much of a, you know, <laughs> a help. You're probably breaking even on what you would, um, you know, have on a normal bike. So you're basically just pedaling around a really heavy bike. Um, I don't know that um, many fat tire bikes are much fun at 250 watts. I, I might be wrong on that. I, I don't have any uh, firsthand knowledge. Although fat tire bikes I've ridden have been at least 750 watts and usually, you know, uh, quite a bit more. So uh, that that could hurt, you know, fat tire e-bike sales in the Netherlands, I, I imagine. It, you know, it's not fun at 250 watts with a really inefficient bike like that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but I, I have to say I'm intrigued, you know, you and I have talked in the past about like, oh, we would love to have a di a bike dyno. You know, we've seen like uh, one of these things that, at, uh, you know, one of our uh, the manufacturers at uh, Luna had one of these and we were like, oh man, let's spec that out and see how much it costs so we can test our, you know, test bikes and see how much power they get. Well, if, if the cops are getting a bunch of these, maybe they, you know, they get to scale and we can get a fairly inexpensive one or something well, so that's that's cool, that's cool tech what's that maybe we can pick one up used at police auction yeah maybe uh yeah at a police auction that's a good idea um so yeah that's that's another you know thing that hit me um but you know i have to say like it's going to be a little bit like i think a lot of people are going to be upset with these things because you know i imagine in the netherlands you 
you know, you buy a bike online, it says 250 watts, you start riding it around, you're like, oh, this is an entertaining, you know, enjoyable experience. And then you get pulled over and the cops like, oh, this is actually 750 watts. Uh, this, you know, we're going to impound this thing or you're going to have to neuter it even more. And that's, nobody's going to like that. So uh, this is good, probably going to be uh, quite controversial when it, when they start rolling these out, I imagine. Yeah, absolutely. I wonder if people will be looking for the cop pickup truck on the side of the road to avoid them rolling out the, the dyno on the side of the bike lane. Yeah, I'm, I guess you have to outrun the dyno, and it doesn't look like it's that fast. So uh, hopefully uh, our friends in the Netherlands uh, can avoid those things. Um, the other thing is like, you know, uh, there's this thing in New York City where like stop and frisk, where they would kind of, the cops would kind of pick out certain people that, you know, based on, you know, most likely racial characteristics. I wonder if this is going to be a thing where you know, the cops get to pick out like, you know, I don't know if it, it would be race racial or like if you guys, you know, if they're wearing hoodies or they're, you know, young or, you know, whatever, like it's an opportunity for cops to kind of pick on the people that they want to pick on. Yeah. I don't like that. That part is kind of wide open. I mean, I could see like, hey, you've, you know, you recorded a guy going, you know, 25 miles per hour, or, you know, 40 kilometers per hour then you can pull them over. Like there has to be like a regulation there because otherwise the cops are just going to pick on the people they want to pick on, which seems like it's always the case. Yeah. Unfortunately it keeps coming back to that, huh? Yep. All right. Well, let's move over all the way back to New Jersey. Watch out New Jersey bill to require all e-bike riders to register and get insurance. So this is happening everywhere. Yeah. If you thought just, uh, a driver's license for bikes was rough. Wait until you hear what New Jersey has planned and what some people say might even have a better chance of becoming law. This is also still in proposed um, legislation, but the goal of this bill is to essentially apply the same um, insurance and registration regulations that cars currently are under to uh, electric bicycles. So just like a car or a motorcycle, when you get an e-bike, you would have to register it. You would get essentially like, um, you know, a title registration uh, number plate for your bike. But you would also be required to carry liability insurance. And um, this has become an issue in New Jersey after um, there have been a few uh, accidents that have led to uh, injury or death. In some cases, there have been fatal bikes involving, uh, fatal crashes rather, involving uh, electric bikes. Um, and so I, I sort of understand how one can lead to the other in the mind of some of these legislators. But at the same time, there are just so many more pressing and more dangerous transportation issues out there than requiring electric bike riders to carry liability insurance in my mind that it just seems like we've gone so far past the low-hanging fruit that we're like up in the top of the tree trying to get like the little bitty apples when cars are responsible for thousands and thousands of deaths every year like can't we put a little bit more of our regulatory might behind making cars safer and going after drivers who are speeding or driving recklessly instead of 
trying to force all electric, electric bicycle riders to carry liability insurance. To me, this just seems crazy. I mean, there's even sort of yeah. two things here. There's the, you know, registering bikes, which some people are against on the one hand, but then there's the insurance, which is just in my mind, even so much further over the top. I don't know. Am I like just, you know, being, uh, my own sort of extremist here, Seth, or is, is this reasonable? No, I think this is getting out of hand and, and you make a great point. Like, you know, we talk about like, uh, you know, like, Hey, this bike is way too powerful. You know, bikes are, I think you say 16,000, 1600 times less times, uh, likely to kill somebody. Um, so why are we, why are we targeting bikes? And then of course, tell, tell any kind of motor driver that, uh, you can't go over the speed limit. Like you can't have a, you know, a dyno, like this isn't about a dyno, but like our previous story, like put a dyno on a, uh, you know, car and say, oh, it it goes over 65 miles per hour. Uh, Sorry, you can't drive this thing like that. (laughs) That wouldn't go over well. And so why are we attacking these, you know, these little like open air, not death machines? Uh, It it just seems kind of crazy to me. So like the insurance part, like how much damage are e-bikes causing compared to cars almost nothing like you you would almost have to like try to to you know hurt somebody you'd have you know try to run somebody down with an e-bike and then you know obviously you know the law gets involved with that kind of stuff so for me like this is just crazy like uh you know why who 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 is behind this like what why would you spend your time and effort to try to make e-bikes uh, insure, you know, require insurance. It, it, like, I, I wonder who's behind this. Is it the cars, you know, like car manufacturers, like are, that are worried about people riding e-bikes? What, what is the, uh, the real motivation here? Cause I can't, I can't imagine something like this. Yeah, absolutely. And then I wonder how even enforceable this is. I mean, it, it has a lot right. of backing. And so there's a good chance this actually does become law in New Jersey after which, I mean, are, are cops really going to be pulling over cyclists and, you know, saying, I need your license, registration, and insurance? Like, is this really the future that, that we're headed towards? Like, there's not enough on police officers' plates right now that they have to start hassling cyclists? Yeah. I mean, you know, it's, I guess, maybe a silver lining, perhaps, is like, well, if you're an e-bike rider, you're less likely to cause, you know, damage. Maybe, you know, if you add that to your insurance the insurance will say, Hey, well, you're actually less likely to cause us to spend, you know, money. So your insurance will actually go down. If you, you know, you say you ride an e-bike or you have an e-bike. Um, I don't know that that's the case. I'm just spitballing here, but, um, you know, maybe there's, there's something to that, but you know, for me, I'm totally against something like this. I think it's crazy that they're even considering it. And, uh, we have some commenters, uh, that are from New Jersey here that are also, um, just, you know, saying it's crazy. Why aren't scooters being regulated then? Why just e-bikes it passed the first round of law unanimously. So it will pass in the next week or so. And, you know, New, New Jersey insurance never goes down and will go up for sure. Like obviously some, some jaded folks, uh, and we're sorry for our, our friends in New Jersey if they have to deal with that. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, 
Well, let's get out of the regulation space and move into what we love the most, and that's new e-bikes. Uh, Turn, one of our favorite uh, cargo e-bike company uh, companies, launches um, a wild new off-road adventure cargo bike with 200-mile range. Yeah, it's kind of wild. Finally, something fun, right? So, uh, yep. Turn has this new bike. It's called, I think it's the Orox. Do you think I'm pronouncing that correctly? That sounds right. All right, we'll go with Orox. And it's basically an off-road adventure cargo bike. If you know Turn, you know that sort of their their bread and butter uh, is a very ruggedly designed urban um, short-tail cargo bike. So something that you can carry the whole family on or lots of groceries and, and ride around town. So they've basically taken... Their, um, their same design language and their same uh, focus on you know rugged, robust designs, and they've applied it to their first off-road bike, which to me is always interesting to see companies expand their focus into new categories. And this is absolutely a new category for turn. And this thing looks pretty awesome. I mean, it's rated for um, something like uh, 400 to 460 pounds of loads, whether you're riding in um, off-road or on-road respectively. So, uh, you know, it's got a little bit higher rating on-road to be expected, but this is not a throw your bag on the back kind of cargo bike. This is like throw the rest of your family on the back kind of (laughs) cargo bike in terms of just, you know, how ruggedly it's designed. It also has another, um, uh, several other interesting features. It's designed to fit many different wheel sizes. So, um, you know, the sort of the standard for a lot of us on off-road bikes like this or more adventure style bikes rather is a four inch tire. Um, so it's designed to fit a 27.5 by four, but you could also, uh, go larger diameter and, and uh, narrower with 29 by threes or 26 by fives if you want like super wide tires. So it's cool that they've wow. set it up to, to fit several different, uh, tire sizes. And then there's different loadouts as well. They all come with um, a Bosch Performance Line CX motor. So, you know, they all have that 80 or 85 newton meters of torque and they're really powerful. But you can get it set up with a Gates Carbon Drive um, or you can get it set up with a Shimano, a Shimano Diore uh, 12-speed uh, derailleur. Um, I think they all have the same four-piston Maxxis uh, hydraulic disc brakes. So not Maxxis. Um, uh, Magura, my brain's all foggy from the flu here. Uh, Magura brakes. So there's, uh, you know, a lot of, of really nice components on this bike. That being said, any bike that you start listing, like all the, the top shelf components, you know, the price tag is going to be up there. And uh, this is no exception. I believe this one starts in the 6,000s. Um, in uh, the U.S., it's 6,500, and then it's like 6,800 euros, and then I think um, only 5,900 pounds. So, um, you know, this is definitely a premium bike. I'm not sure if that's the uh, dual battery or the single battery. I believe it comes in both a, an 800 or a 1,600-watt-hour setup. Um, Hopefully that's the dual battery, but I'm a little bit worried that that's like the starting price. And if you want the, the second battery to go almost 200 miles, you're going to have to pay even more. Um, but at least you are getting, you know, the entire Bosch system that includes like all the Bosch app, the anti-theft, GPS tracking, uh, remote locking, basically everything that, you know, comes in addition to 
having a quality motor and having, you know, a big name like Bosch behind it in case you ever need work. So a lot of really cool things here. It's just also a super pricey bike. And if you ask me, I'm not sure that the off-road cargo adventure segment is that well developed yet. So I have to wonder how many people have been waiting in line to spend $6,500 on an off-road cargo bike, even one that looks as impressive and as high performance as this one. I don't know. What do you think, Seth? Yeah, I'm in the same boat. I uh, I think this is probably a small market, especially with the price point, but um, there's people out there and this is going to be really a cool bike for them. Um, I noticed that the, uh, the the single battery is is kind of inside the bike frame, kind of like a, a Sondor's bike. Um, where would the second battery live? Would it be on top of the, like the bike rack? Or It's a good question. Um, it often goes there, though it seems like there's a surprising amount of space between the rear wheel and the um, seat tube. Oh, yeah. Maybe that's just due to the cargo nature. But um, yeah, it doesn't look like there'd be enough room in that triangle there. Um, the frame pack, I think they, they were calling that. So it could be a, a rack-mounted battery in the back. Yeah. Lord knows there's okay. enough cargo capacity to stick a battery back there. Yeah, and you're probably going to run paneers off the side. So, um, And I, I saw in the other uh, image, I think they had front paneers on there. I mean, that this thing is just loaded to the teeth. And then I think that's the five-inch tires. Those look pretty wide. Yeah, and there's a... Uh, I forget how many, but there are a ton of brazons for mounting, um, you know, mirrors or cargo boxes or probably child seats, basically anything you can imagine. There's places to mount on, uh, on this yeah. kind of bike. I mean, if this is your work vehicle, uh, the, the price makes sense. You know, if you're riding it every day and you're, you're making money from it, it makes sense. Um, you know, this, this particular uh, image that we're looking at, if you're watching the video, it has kind of a family vibe going on, like they're going camping or something. Um, I don't know that that's going to be a, a super popular um, use case, but, you know, who knows? Like, uh, you know, certainly people with uh, big budgets uh, can afford uh, really cool bikes like this. So, you know, maybe that's something they see happening. I kind of feel like this would be good for, you know, like uh, a bike delivery service in a, you know, perhaps dirty, rainy, um, kind of scenario where, you know, you're working eight hours a day taking, you know, food or other items around town. Um, that seems like it would be a good use case, but I'm sure there's lots of other use cases. Um, as far as the Bosch system, um, it, this is only pedal assist. There's no throttle. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. So that's that's something to consider. I mean, usually Bosch, you know, is one of the best in in terms of drivetrains. But like, you know, you're starting this thing with a bunch of uh, cargo on a hill, and you know, sometimes it's nice to have a little bit of help um, when starting off uh, with a throttle. So that's kind of a bummer. I uh, I don't know what you do in that case. Like, I I don't know how you um, you help that out because. Uh, you know, obviously in the uh, EU and and a lot of places with regulations, uh, there's no throttles allowed. Um, this would be actually really cool as kind of a, you know, if they made it a uh, 30 mile per hour bike or something. Yeah. I think that would be a fun, a fun use case and certainly would help yeah. justify the $6,500 price tag. Absolutely. For people who do like, a, you know, a lot of camping weekends, 
every year. I mean, you almost don't even need uh, a bike trailer. Like you see a lot of people pulling stuff through the woods because this just has right. so much capacity on it. So in that way, I could see this. Also, I mean, with, with those dual batteries, like you don't even need to worry about range. You spend one battery getting in, you know, riding for hours and hours, and then you've got a whole other battery when you come out at the end of the weekend. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it could be such a thing that, like, you actually don't mount both batteries at the same time. You just, like, throw that second battery, you know, into that, that space, and it just, you kind of store it in the back. I I I doubt that's the case, though. I I think Turn and Bosch usually have multiple battery solutions there. Mm-hmm. Um, the other thing is, like, hunting. I, I know a lot of people, you know, uh, use like quiet cats and stuff for hunting. I wonder if this would be a good uh, hunting bike. At least, you know, I don't know how many people do that in Europe, but um, I know in the U.S. it's kind of a big, big uh, activity. With and the bikes are, you know, because they're quiet and they have a long range and they can carry a lot of stuff. They're quite popular there. Yeah, maybe this is my own biases, but I tend to see the the hunting group and the e-bike riding and the, the pedal assist e-bike riding group i should say is not having a whole lot of overlap in the, the venn diagram all the hunting bikes i see are, are throttle enabled right yeah same here uh i agree but uh you know maybe there's a few out there former uh, road bikers or something that need the uh the exercise all right, so we have big bikes there. Now we're going to the uh, we're going to jump to the other end of the spectrum. Uh, the fun little Jackrabbit micro e bike. It's a gigantic new battery, two point five x the range. Yeah, I love this little Jackrabbit thing. Um, if you're not familiar, there's actually two models from this company. They call them micro e bikes. Technically, they're kind of more of a seated scooter because they have foot pegs instead of pedals, but they ride or at least they feel more like a bike when you're on them because they use bicycle wheels and handlebars and all the components feel like a bike. It's just a super squished wheelbase and the whole thing is super small. So the original model weighs, I think, 24 pounds. Then they came out with a slightly larger um, model that weighs 32 pounds. But either way, it's super lightweight compared to most e-bikes. The downside is that the range has always been a bit the original only has one battery slot and it uses a hundred and I think it's 52 watt hour battery which is tiny um, the advantage of that and the reason they designed it so small is that not only does it reduce weight but it makes it so that you can bring the entire bike on a plane and you can even carry on the battery because it's under the 160 watt hour limit that um, most US airlines will accept and so uh, I've actually done that. I've flown with it and carried the little battery on, which is great. But that little battery will barely get you 10 miles of range by itself. So on the original model with one battery slot, you were really limited to, you know, very local errand running, that kind of thing. Came out with the second model. It has two battery slots. So you can get up to 20 miles, but still, you know, up to 20 is not a great figure for, for e-bikes. But this new battery that they've come out with now, it's called the Range Buster. And it's, um, I think, 360 watt hours, if I'm not mistaken, which, again, by itself doesn't sound huge. But when you're talking about a 24-pound e-bike, it really adds a significant amount of range to the tune of something like 24 miles. 
But if you use the second bike they came out with, with the dual battery slots, you can get up to 48 miles of range in this tiny bike. Um, and the battery is still quite small. I'm not sure it's pocket size anymore. You know, the original battery I could fit in the front pockets of my Levi's. This one is kind of like um, uh, a triple wide, I would call it. So it sticks out on either side of the frame. But if you've been wanting to, you know, keep using this tiny little bike, but prefer a realistic, you know, all day range in the city, this would be the way to do it and, uh, you know, upgrade the, the battery, which is great because a lot of these bikes, you know, they, they take one size battery and, and that's it. You can't really fit more, more batteries into them. So this is kind of a, a neat design they've come up with that allows you to physically stuff more battery in, even if it's literally hanging out of either side of the frame and still be able to use those same battery slots. Not a, a solution that everyone's going to be happy with, but, I think it's pretty cool. Yeah. So my, you know, my, I, if I had said, Hey, uh, the, this Jackrabbit needs more range. My first thing would be like, well, why don't you put some pedals on it? Or, <laughs> uh, or, you know, like a pedal by wire, like even like a small, like charger that you could like, I don't know, just sit there and pedal, probably not as efficient as you know plugging it into a wall outlet, but, um, it's, it's uh like certainly they're keeping their you know like seated scooter in the form factor of a bike uh motif going but um yeah i mean how popular are these things i i rode one i think in in europe one time and i was like a little bit weirded out by the the steering wheel being so far out in front of the front tire so like you would steer it and it would kind of like i kind of I feel like it would oversteer or something oh yeah um I never got that myself, but maybe because I'm on so many different things that I'm just sort of used to adapting to whatever feeling I get from it. But, um, you know, I might be thinking of something else. It was, it might've been a rear wheel, oh, rear wheel steering. Thing. Yeah. I remember that one actually, that, uh, bent in the middle of the bike. Yeah. Okay. So yeah. take, take that back. Similar proportions, uh, different execution. Right. Okay. Yeah. This one, though, I think they've got over 15,000 bikes sold. They, um, they refer to their community as Jackos. So they've got, they okay. got 15,000 Jackos out there uh, riding their bikes, okay. which is That's, pretty good. Yeah, not bad. Um, these are pretty – how much do they weigh again? Uh, 24 pounds for the one battery and 32 pounds for the, the bigger version that's a little chunkier and has more power. Oh, wow. So does the bike actually change or is it just the battery that changed? Uh, no, no, it's just a new battery. So if you have the bike, so it's you ten, can just get the battery. 10 extra pounds of battery. Uh, oh, sorry. You mean between the two? Yeah, no, the, the bikes are, are yeah. different bikes. Yeah, it's got um, uh, front wheel braking on the bigger one, a longer frame, uh, a different frame design. So it's got a down to the whole thing is like okay. a little more uh, rugged. It's still pretty small, but bigger. And top speed? Uh, they all go 20 top speed 20. Okay. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it seems like a compelling product. Um, you know, I'm obviously a fan of pedaling, but, um, you know, if, if you're talking about riding a stand on scooter versus something like this, I would much prefer this. And obviously, you know, it's lightweight, but it's also, you don't need to kind of fold it up to fit it into most cars. So that's a big plus. 
Yeah, and, and that's the thing is that I think they were going for is to give people the the feeling of a bike because I think if you ask most people, they're more comfortable on a bike style ride. Just sitting is is more stable feeling, and so I agree. You know, it gives you the lightweight and convenience of a scooter, but you know, it just, the whole thing just feels more like a bike to me. Yep. All right, uh, let's move on. Uh, why electric bikes actually give more exercise than pedal bikes? This is sort of a compilation of a few different um, sort of studies over the years that we've covered. But um, I think it's it's important to talk about this because a lot of times electric bikes get this bad rap as, you know, for the lazy or something like that. And so to me, it's always interesting each time uh, scientists do a study on a different aspect of e-biking because the results usually come back to the same findings, which is that if you take, uh, you know, a group of pedal cyclists and a group of electric bike riders and you measure both of them, you'll generally find that there's more uh, expenditure in terms of like, uh, you know, metabolic expenditure going on in the electric bike group, which sounds super counterintuitive, but the results generally come back to the same reasons, which is that uh, most people tend to ride longer when they're out on an electric bike because it is a little bit easier in terms of when you hit the hills and that sort of thing. So you're not getting as tired as quickly, and it just makes it more enjoyable to stay out longer. They also find that people tend to ride more often when they have an electric bike. So you know, you've got uh, like a lot of people, an old pedal bike in the garage, it's probably been sitting there for months or even years because it's like, yeah, you know, at some point maybe I'll get back into it. But with an e-bike, there just isn't that sort of like pain hill to overcome to be able to enjoy it. And so, you know, a lot of people see this headline and they instantly think, you know, it has to be wrong. Or like they think of that guy that they see in their neighborhood every Sunday morning wearing spandex doing a century ride. And they're like, how is that guy not, you know, getting as much exercise as someone on an e-bike? Yeah, he's probably getting a lot more. But that's the point is that it's not that every pedal cyclist doesn't get the exercise as an e-biker, but that on average, e-bike riders tend to ultimately get more total exercise. And I mean, at the end of the day, none of this is a competition, uh, especially not, I think, from the perspective of e-bike riders who are like the least interested in competing. They're just out there to have fun and, and enjoy the ride. But I think it is important to keep in mind because when we're looking for ways to be active uh, especially, you know, that it's not just the U.S. ball over the world. They're, they're facing, you know, these uh, an epidemic of, of unhealthy lifestyles and that sort of thing. That I think it's important to remember that e-bikes, while they sound like they might not be a fitness device, can actually have a huge impact on people's fitness routines by simply making it a more enjoyable experience to get outside and be pedaling. Uh, and then the last bit of that is probably important to note is that. Uh, most of these studies are performed on pedal-assist electric bicycles. So throttle-enabled e-bikes, as long as you know, you're know you not totally relying on the throttle 100% and you're you know, using the, the pedal-assist majority of the time, you can still get that benefit. But if you're just throttling along, um, you know, like riding a juiced hyperscorpion or something, then you're not getting the same benefit as if you were pedaling on like you know a pedal-assist electric mountain bike or electric commuter, that sort of thing. Um, but Seth, I know you've got a, a lot more experience both on pedal fitness bikes and uh, riding for uh, for fitness. So what are your thoughts seeing some of this? 
Yeah, so I agree wholeheartedly with the the high level thing. Um, I think the you know most studies that I read about um, fitness is it's better to do like an hour of or thirty minutes or you know a longer period of time of of moderate exercise rather than go hardcore you know whatever for you know twenty minutes or thirty minutes um, and and obviously you know, the bigger thing is that you get more people actually, you know, exercising when it's not like, you know, putting you at your max heart rate for, you know, an extended period of time. So that's the bigger picture thing. Um, you know, obviously you can throttle around on a a bike or a scooter and get almost no exercise. I mean, it's still probably better for the environment and better for traffic and better for like 10 other reasons, but um, if you're actually talking about fitness, you obviously have to pedal a little bit. Um, but you don't have like, you know, the, the, the people who uh, ride the, what we call acoustic bikes, like, yes, that certainly is, you know, mile per mile, minute for minute, you're, you're going to get more exercise on it. But like so many more people are going to ride bikes if it's not, you know, putting them to the very edge of their heart rate capability and their cardio strength. So, you know, any, I think any recent health, um, you know, study has shown that like, you know, walking for instance, you know, for uh, an hour a day is much more, uh, you know, better for overall health than, you know, like running hardcore for like one time a week or something like that. So, um, I think this is kind of the equivalent of that. And, you know, you don't have to go to your max heart rate as long as you're elevating your heart rate for, you know, an an hour or so a day or, you know, 30 minutes a day. I think that is kind of what you're talking about in terms of like long-term health benefits and e-bikes are obviously going to to help that. And, and like you said, like, like we've been saying, of course, you know, if you're just throttling around, on an e-bike, that's not going to help anybody. I mean, you know, it's not going to help you health wise. Like you maybe, you know, you're getting some fresh air instead of sitting in your car, but like realistically you're not, you know, elevating your heart rate at all. So, you know, I, th- I think the people who say, Oh, you know, you're on a, you know, e-bike, you're not getting any exercise. Well, it, you know, obviously depends on how you're, you're doing that, but you know, most people will, will pedal at least a little bit, elevate their heart rate up. Um, and, you know, it's, it's kind of fun. I, I think, um, getting a pedal assist only bike for your typical commute is a great way to, um, you know, start your day. And then, you know, if some people take their bike to the gym and they get their warm up, you know, on the way to the gym and then they're cool down on the way back. And I think that's, you know, a great way to kind of live your life. Absolutely. Yeah. I agree. I like to ride to a run and then use it as like a warm up and cool down. Yeah, exactly. All right, let's move on. Uh, are Africa's latest electric motorcycle battery swapping gains outpacing the world? This is an interesting one because uh, electric motorcycle battery swapping is taking off in Africa at a rate that a lot of people might not realize. In fact, especially if you look around in North America, we don't see any electric motorcycle battery swapping. So. Some people might not even realize this exists, but um, here we're looking at a company called Spiro, who has already operated thousands and thousands of 
uh, manual battery swaps, which is how a lot of these companies began, where they basically have depots where riders will roll in and an employee will help them swap their battery for them so they can get back out riding um, in about the time it would take to, you know, fill up at a, at a fuel station kind of thing if you had a, uh, a traditional gasoline-powered motorcycle. But now they're opening these, uh, they call them automatic battery swapping stations. Perhaps self-service might be a better um, name for them because the, the rider still has to do the swap themselves, but there's no employee in the system. You roll up, you um, authentify, and then you get a battery out of these cabinets and you can drop it into your, your motorcycle and you continue on your way with your old battery now being charged up in the cabinet. So, um, you know, these companies are, are moving very quickly and in some cases outpacing a lot of uh, lesser developed countries like the United States when it comes to battery swapping infrastructure for motorcycles. Now, these still aren't as nice as uh, some of the um, more uh, well-developed standards like, you know, we've talked about GoGoro a lot um, in the past and the company has, you know, like a really elegant solution. This is more like something we've seen in Europe and in South America where it's a cabinet style. So, you know, the door opens and you replace your battery in, inside of these cabinets. And so, you know, it's not as slick or fancy as, as GoGoro's um, setup, but it, it works every bit as well. Uh, if it takes, you know, just a few more seconds kind of thing. And in this case, in Africa, we're seeing a huge impact because unlike in many areas where consumer riders make up the majority of these uh, swappable battery users, in Africa, this is almost entirely Boto Boto riders, which are like uh, motorcycle taxis. And so um, these are guys who are, you know, out there for um, long eight, ten hour shifts uh, they're riding all day, and the only way that they would be able to switch to an electric vehicle away from their gasoline-powered motorcycle is if it can run all day and keep up the same way. And so with battery swapping, it's enabled uh, thousands and thousands of these riders who are otherwise burning fuel all day in these African cities to switch to electric. And they're saving money by doing it. They're saving the environment. The cities are nicer to live in because you know, people aren't breathing these plumes of exhaust and you're not listening to these two-stroke engines whiz by all the time. So there are just so many benefits and it's great to see not only that this has taken off in Africa, but that they're like leapfrogging ahead with this technology now, getting to the point of these um, you know, automated and self-service uh, battery swapping stations. So to me, this is just great and I can't wait to see you know, how much it continues to grow across the continent. And, kind of crossing my fingers that one day the U.S. can can reach Africa's level of technology when it comes to battery swapping. <laughs> yeah, super, super cool to see. And it's almost kind of an advantage um, to have started, you know, you know, uh, having uh, less infrastructure. You kind of don't have the legacy like, well, you know, we have all these gas stations around and we have all these like, you know, the these great, you know, it's just, it's kind of like, almost a benefit to kind of start from, you know, start with less, start with less infrastructure, because then you can kind of say, all right, well, it would take all this money to have all these, you know, uh, fossil fuel infrastructure and stuff around. Why not just leap ahead? I mean, I think, you know, we're also talking about similar things in, in other spaces like, um, you know, mobile phones, like there's no landline infrastructure uh, in certain parts of the world. It makes 
mobile phones even more of a no-brainer. Um, so, and, and with electricity as well, like, you know, you don't have a fossil fuel plant. Why would you, you know, why would you do anything besides solar or wind in, in these kind of scenarios? Um, when you're starting with a, you know, kind of a, a blank slate. So, um, super cool to see these, um, you know, like I, I, like I'm, I'm happy to see the homegrown solution, but I also wonder like if the, these kind of markets are kind of ripe for a, you know, a go-go row that's, you know, built this technology over 10 years and, you know, has a very high tech Taiwan behind it. Um, you know, if, if Gogoro pulled in right next to a Spiro station and it might be kind of, you know, as sadly, it would probably be, you know, not much of a contest, uh, in terms of technology and everything, but, you know, still great to see these, these guys working on it. And, uh, you know, it's, it's kind of likely that Gogoro wouldn't, you know, move into these smaller, smaller areas anytime soon. So nice to see that these guys have, uh, options here. Yeah, absolutely. They're making it work with what they have. The other thing is that their motorcycles are largely um, built in Africa. So the nice thing is that they're not, right. you know, stuck with a design from some other country that they're licensing, et cetera. You know, they've, they've basically done it all locally. That's awesome. Yeah. And yeah, who knows? Maybe maybe they cannot compete uh, the larger, you know, more advanced uh, countries and in, in this kind of stuff. All right, let's move on to our comments. It was a lively discussion today. Uh, maybe the regulation pulled out some folks, but um, let's see where we can start. All right, Abel Banner, what about recumbent tadpole trike electric? Uh, we've talked about a uh, electric trikes, uh, tadpoles, but we haven't talked about recumbent tadpole trike electrics, have we? I don't think so, but each one of those qualifiers gets more and more expensive. So that's the only right. issue that I see. I mean, all of that is, is totally possible. There might even be some uh, electric recumbent tadpole trikes, but each one of those makes things more complicated and costly. So that's probably the single most expensive design for an e-bike, I can imagine. Yeah, but I guess you get a little bit more efficient in terms of you know uh, your... Well, I think we lost Seth there. Um, probably hop back in a minute. But um, yeah, I mean, we have seen some of these before. You know, we've seen recumbent trikes. We've seen um, tadpole electric trikes. But uh, to be able to get all of those together, I mean, I think that would basically be like the, um, you know, the holy grail to fit all of that into one e-bike design. Now, here's Seth. Sorry, I, I, uh, my browser crashed. That was weird. First time that's happened. All right. Uh, so we talked about recumbents. Well, that, that comment disappeared. All right. Well, let's move on then. Um, should apply to, so we're talking about regulations. Um, and I believe this was when we were talking about New Jersey should apply to non e-bike bikes too. Otherwise seems suspect. That's a good point. Um, why are we targeting electric bikes, especially, um, ones that are assist only versus, um, you know, maybe there's a, a delineation to draw, um, you know, between assist bikes and, and uh, throttle bikes. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, if, if the goal is either ensuring everyone has uh, knowledge of the rules of the road or ensuring that in the event of a crash that, you know, everyone has liability insurance, then whether or not there's an electric motor shouldn't much matter. Yeah. 
Um, so stay connected with EVs is a guy from New Jersey, and uh, he has a lot of uh, comments here. So let's start with those. Uh, he says we should first provide cheaper UL certification options for bike manufacturers. Uh, we fully agree with that. We know there's a lot of problems there. Some some get UL level certification, but don't don't get the actual UL certification, which is quite expensive. And uh, that you know we get emails from the UL company saying they're not actually certified, even though they've gone through the same tests. So it gets complicated. Uh, also, we need to provide manufacturer guidelines before laws are made so they can could conform. That's true. Um, we should probably, you know, have a lead time here, at least a couple of years, so manufacturers can build um, conforming bikes. New Jersey just passed a requirement. We talked about that. Um, let's move on here. Meanwhile, in China, Freedom, I'm not sure what that YouTube link goes to. We are not going to click it. Uh, I'm glad I live in Tennessee, says Electric Scooter Man. Uh, that's true. Tennessee will probably not be on the forefront of uh, electric mobility regulation. I'm just assuming there. Um, so he's talking about uh, State Connect is talking about New Jersey, and we kind of answered those uh, while we were on that subject. Uh I always wanted to live in Florida. That's where Micah is sometimes. Um, Michael Sprinzelis says, Dino at the side of the road are ridiculous, exclamation points. Uh, your car isn't tested and can have any kind of power, so you have to follow the rules of the road. Yeah, I think we, we got into that like viewpoint there. Um, what do you think uh, of the future of dinos on the road? If they had massive ones for cars as well, then maybe I'll be all right with the bike ones. Until okay. then, yeah, yeah, I do agree that it's uh, you know selective enforcement. I mean that that could that could almost extend to like, all right, so you're going to tell me that I have to have a bike that can only go 28 miles per hour on the same road that a car that can go 150 miles per hour can go on, and that's somehow fair, yeah. like. I mean, I understand bike lanes. I understand, you know, areas where, you know, maybe like a, a bike trails where there's bikers and pedestrians and we don't want people going 30 miles per hour. But for bikes on roads, I feel like whatever, Just, you know, you're you're putting yourself, you know, in your danger. The more that you can ride with traffic, the safer you are. So yeah. I don't know. it's my little my little rant there. All right, let's move on here. Uh, Gandalf says, all of this news is utter madness. Uh, California still allows lane splitters, and they won't worry about e-bikes. Uh, they do worry about Sounds them. like they're worried about, yeah, they're worried about e-bikes a little bit. Uh, New Jersey is so unbelievably broke, maybe it's a tax crash cash grab. Uh, I don't think they're going to make any kind of money on that particularly. Uh, but maybe, I don't know. Uh, New Jersey insurance never goes down. I 100% agree with you guys. Thank you. Uh, electric scooter man, I'm eyeing the Dualtron scooter soon. Do you know about the Dualtron? Uh, I've seen several, but I don't know which specific one uh, he's looking for. But they're known for being you know, massive, incredibly powerful just tanks on wheels. Yeah, we, we had a, a Chinese manufacturer send us a bunch of way over spec scooters. Uh they were amusing. I don't think that's I don't think that's a feature of micro mobility, <laughs> however. Uh 
they're they're funny in kind of a weird way but um all right uh moving on i wonder how this jersey insurance thing will affect new yorkers just biking through new jersey i mean you got to cross the hudson river so it's not trivial to get over there but it it's certainly a lot of people do it's fun to you know jump on the path train with your bike and ride around hoboken or jersey city so you know if if you're gonna get pulled over if that's gonna reduce tourism and money going into new jersey so yeah, something to consider Uh, New York always follows New Jersey. Uh, not sure if that's the case. Uh, New York was known a lot of fires because of e-bike batteries. That's another subject that we've covered quite a bit. Um, some anecdotal <laughs> bike fire information. Uh, same, I've been riding my VSET 10 with two batteries. All right, let's move on to turn. That turn is gorgeous. I'm not sure who needs that 200-mile range. It's a good point. I don't know if it's really going to be a 200 mile bike i think if you load it up with a lot of stuff and you're going up hills and it's good to have a lot of extra range but you're probably not going to ever go 200 miles um moving on most ferris scooter looks wicked too all right we'll have to look at those uh charging at 5 amps would take a long time for those batteries uh, what would be the problem if an exercise competition did start between analog and electric bikers? Everybody gets healthier. Yeah, I don't know how the problem with electric bikes and exercises. It's hard to measure how much you're actually putting yeah, in. Dividing. I wonder if. Yeah. yeah, I wonder if like a company could kind of measure that as you know, like how much of the breakdown of power was the electric motor versus yeah. you, and then you know maybe pump that into your app, app like, watch. Um, a stress gauge on the crank so that you know you can sort of divide it that way what you put into the pedal versus what but they're like you know third-party add-ons yeah i mean for me i'm i'm usually just about heart rate like did i get my heart rate up for a, you know to a certain point for a certain amount of time yeah and that's the thing is like you know it's it, it would be interesting to know at the end of the day what, what you really want to know is are you getting exercise right yeah. All right. Uh, I love the idea of battery swapping, but battery maintenance concerns me. Yeah, that's always the kind of issue with the um, battery swap stations that don't have humans involved. Like, well, what if the battery's not in great shape? Or, you know, you drop the battery on the ground while you're putting it in, and it's got a huge dent in it. All these things. Yeah. Uh, regulate speed, not power. I guess that's a good point. That's what they do with cars. Uh, I'm in New York City. I've crossed that river many times. All right, we have we have a commuter that um, either goes through the tunnel or the path train or the GW Bridge. So yeah, there's ways to get from New York to New Jersey. All right. And that looks like it. Well, thank you everybody for tuning in to another episode of Wheelie Podcast. We'll be back in another two weeks uh, with a whole pile of new articles. See you then, everybody.